On May 18th, voters will be asked if they want to amend our state constitution to restore checks and balances between the executive and legislative branches. Republicans will also have to pick their nominee for the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Jeremy Baker, political director at Commonwealth Partners, is my guest. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, President and CEO of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. And my guest today is uh, Jeremy Baker. He is the uh, Political Director at Commonwealth Partners. Jeremy, thanks for coming on uh, Brews and Views. My pleasure. First time for everything. And you have your brew in front of you. Yeah. Uh, a cup of coffee uh, uh, today. A little early for us to be uh, drinking the other kinds of brews. Although I guess you guys from Chambersburg uh, do that uh, fairly regularly. It's just in our so. blood constantly. Yeah, got it. Hey, we're going to talk about uh, what's on the ballot, uh, May 18. And uh, there are statewide choices that whether you're Democrat, Republican, um, or uh, you know, independents, any third parties, you're going to be able to vote on some constitutional amendments. Uh, we also want to talk about statewide judicial races, that uh, there are primary battles, and we're just going to focus on uh, the Republican judicial candidates that will be on the ballot. Uh, but let's start, first of all, with the judicial races. Uh, there are four uh, statewide races that have open seats uh, uh, this election, and uh, there are two in Commonwealth Court, one in Superior Court, and one in Supreme Court. Um, and uh, for Superior Court, uh, they're the one candidate running for the Republicans is Megan Sullivan. She's a Chester County attorney, uh, has 20 years of legal experience, and uh, we've endorsed her at Commonwealth Partners, and we think she would be an excellent jurist on uh, the Superior Court. Yeah, and a great candidate as well. Uh, we're really excited about Megan. There's a reason she's unopposed. She's going to be uh, you know, very compelling come the fall, and we're really excited about having her on the ballot. Commonwealth Court, uh, there are actually two open seats. One is a seat that uh, was vacated and filled uh, by appointment, um, and that is held by uh, Judge Drew Crompton, and uh, he's running for a full term and will be seeking the nomination that, of course, uh, going against Democrats in the fall. And uh, the other candidate, Republican candidate, is a McKean County attorney, Stacy Wallace, uh, and Stacy, uh, we believe, would be an excellent jurist on the Commonwealth Court. And uh, we know that the Commonwealth Court is a very important appellate court. So both Superior and Commonwealth Courts are appellate courts to the state Supreme Court, but they handle different issues. And Commonwealth Court, of course, deals a lot with, well, government, Commonwealth, uh, and the different uh, entities of government. Uh, we've been before Commonwealth Court before with some of our lawsuits uh, but this will be really important that both uh, uh, Crompton and Wallace get elected in November, and uh, they're unopposed in the Republican primaries. Yeah, these courts are, are vital importance to citizens, to businesses, because they have to interact with and deal with government in these courts. And these are the courts that can protect your individual liberties, the liberties of businesses. 
uh, whenever you have to deal with the government acting wrongly. And these three seats at the appellate level uh, are all being vacated by Republican uh, jurists. And so for Republicans, this is just a hold things steady election. Uh, And that includes even the Supreme Court. Uh, which is currently a five to two Democratic majority. A Republican, uh, the Chief Justice, Tom Saylor, uh, has aged out. And what that means is that he's reached the age of 75, at which time there's a, a mandatory retirement. So this is also a hold seat for Republicans. Uh, there are actually three candidates on the ballot for Republicans. This is the only contested primary for the statewide judicial races. Commonwealth Partners has strongly endorsed uh, Judge Kevin Brobson, who is actually the president judge of the Commonwealth Court. Um, uh, Jeremy, what, why is uh, this an important election for not only uh, uh, Judge Brobson to be on the court, but the experience that he's bringing to that court that's actually pretty unique for that seven justice uh, uh, court right now. Well, yeah. First, let me let me hit the fact that this is a vital win for Republicans this fall. We must win this seat. It's five to two currently. If we would lose it, it would be six to one for the Democrats. Uh, and putting Brobson on that court as one of those two Republicans would give a voice from the Commonwealth Court. There's currently no justices on the court that are from Commonwealth. So to get those insights into how citizens and businesses deal with government on that court is so vital, as we've seen over the last three years with rulings on redistricting from the court, with rulings on reopenings from the court, having that other voice is going to give a tremendous opportunity to the citizens and businesses in Pennsylvania. Well, not only those things and uh, understanding the integrity, the character that uh, Judge Brobson has demonstrated on the bench because he's been on the Commonwealth Court for the last 10 years and brings a ton of experience, like you said, doesn't exist on the Supreme Court right now. Uh, The other candidates uh, that are on the ballot, one, has a husband who's gone to jail because of uh, um, extorting money from an elderly woman and spending money on camp, you know, campaign funds. Uh, that's going to be used against her if she were to make it to the the November ballot. Uh, and then the other candidate from Philadelphia has declared her support comes from the trial lawyers and unions. Uh, well, they've the trial lawyers and unions. We have enough uh, of that yeah, already on the we, Supreme Court. Exactly. So so that wouldn't even be a win despite a Republican. Uh, we've seen where Republicans um, don't take rule of law but uh, uh, end up ruling for special well, interests. And, and ultimately, we're not looking for a team red justice. We want a team rule of law justice. And that's what we're, that's what it so excites us about Kevin Brobson. Yeah. And, and that's a great segue uh, into the constitutional amendments because, um, you know, the question is, well, how did we get here? Why are we having to amend our state constitution? And there are actually two ballot questions related to emergency declarations made by the, the executive branch, by the governor. Uh, uh, Jeremy, how did we get here? Why are we now and how does this even relate to the courts? Certainly. So March 6th of last year was when the governor first instituted his disaster declaration on the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And everyone across the Commonwealth said, two weeks to flatten the curve. We don't know what we're dealing with. We're going to you know, mm-hmm. accept that and, and be responsible. So support we, this, th- this Because we care yeah. about people's lives and yeah. livelihoods. Everyone does. And after a couple of weeks of seeing the governor's response from being the only state that shut down construction, being the only state that had 
Um, you know, other things arbitrarily shut down, uh, constantly shifting, o- reopening metrics. A waiver system that no other state utilized that and seemed no to be business arbitrary. Could, yeah. could figure out. The legislature decided to push back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they wanted some nuance in how the government looked at the response because Tioga County, Cambria County are very different from Allegheny County and Philadelphia County. And unfortunately, and the way they push back is to pass legislation, right? Put it on his desk, yes. and hopefully he signs some yeah. of these things. But and he would veto it, and then make executive changes shortly thereafter. Um, and eventually, the legislature attempted to eliminate his disaster declaration. Well, but that was uh, so. Uh, currently, under state law, uh, a governor has ninety days mm-hmm. a disaster declaration, and he can continue to extend those uh, in perpetuity. And we, he's done that actually ever since he came into office on the opioid crisis, right? I mean, we are four years plus of that. Yeah. Of a opioid uh, disaster declaration. So, uh, a governor can continue to renew them and 90 days. Is that a lot or a little relative to other States? I mean, what, how do other States uh, give executive power? Well, it's more than other States. And the issue is that there's no say from the legislature in if that can continue and how it can continue. Mm -hmm. And that's the piece that the legislature tried to do is let's have some input, some back and forth from the people on the ground dealing with constituents day in and day out who can't get an unemployment check or whose business doesn't understand how the waiver process works or whose restaurant was forced to shut down with tons of food in their pantry. These are the issues that the lawmakers at our state legislature saw day in and day out. The governor didn't. And there was no check or balance on... And it wasn't a matter of him having to respond immediately to something because everybody supported that. And in fact, you don't see any effort to rescind his disaster declaration until well after 90 days. Right. I mean, or that it wasn't successful until after, you know, almost a three-month period. Right. Well, and so uh, because of uh, the governor being resistant to legislation that was being put on his desk, I don't know how many vetoes he made, yeah. uh, as well as— and unwilling uh, to even yeah, talk to the legislature. Yeah, we yeah saw not even meeting with them. He wouldn't even take calls or set up meetings with our leaders. Yeah, so, so eventually the legislature acts to uh, overturn, to rescind— uh, the disaster declaration. The law seems pretty clear that by a simple resolution of by the House and the Senate that it would overturn a disaster declaration. And this is where the courts come in. What ha- would the Pennsylvania well, Supreme Court do? Well, so the law is passed, says by concurrent resolution, the House and Senate may terminate a disaster declaration. And that passed, the governor vetoed it. And the, the, the legislature was like, we, what, what? We, don't have, we have to present it to the governor? It just says in the law that we just pass it. And the court came down, put on their put on their blue jerseys, and said, "No, the governor has this power; he can veto this." So they had to present it to him. He vetoed the law and continued with his unilateral authority. Well, which uh, what's important about this is that uh, that the legislature could override that veto, uh, but that's more difficult than actually impeaching and removing the governor. So, so the standard that the Supreme Court set was it would be more difficult. Uh, to overturn a disaster declaration than to impeach and remove. Right. And so for these reasons, uh, the, the, these constitutional amendments, two of them, uh, are now on the ballot. The, the first ballot question that will be before the people is that uh, having just a simple majority of the House and the Senate to overturn a disaster declaration. And then that's it. It doesn't go for presentment to the governor to veto because it really doesn't make sense that the law, that at least the way that the Supreme Court decided to rewrite right. it, 
to suggest that uh, that he would have the power to veto uh, this this uh, resolution. Um, so what what does a a, a vote no mean, uh, Jeremy? If people go in and say no, I don't want to change this. How does that? Uh, um, change anything, or what does that mean? Well, and the piece when you look at is, is long term. It would it would maintain this governor's and any future governors, Republican or Democrat, grasp on unlimited, unchecked, and ultimately unaccountable power um, over the people of Pennsylvania. And then the second question that is asked is that instead of ninety days, saying look, twenty one days, so three weeks, uh, that uh, for a disaster declaration, and if you want to extend that. Uh, you have to get the approval of the House and the Senate. Now, the governor is making arguments, and of course, even the language is misleading, is basically saying, well, this would, uh, you know, eliminate the power of the governor to declare emergencies. And these, you know, big bad Republicans would strip a governor of the ability to save people's lives, right? I mean, how, how, uh, how do you explain this of you know what, this still allows for a governor to declare emergencies, um, but what is it going to force him to do in the process? Well, it would force him to come to the table and interact with his co-equal branch of government and the, the branch of government that's closest to the people and how a, a response to a disaster declaration, what that actually looks like. Because for three weeks, the governor has the ability to react as he sees mm -hmm. fit. After three weeks, he would have to go to the legislature and say, hey, here's what I'm working on. And if they agree, they can move forward. If there's disagreement, they can negotiate and deal with the situation in the best way that works possible. Well, and we know that even in our own experience, uh, they went well past 21 days, actually past 90 days before they actually overturned that disaster. Because right. there was pretty broad agreement, hey, we need to be able to respond to this quickly. Uh, but what obviously frustrated the legislature was his utter lack of seeking their input and not meeting. I mean, I know that there's still legislators, uh, leaders that haven't met with him in person, you know, in over a year. Right. Um, and so all of this is saying is, look, we have to have checks and balances on government. You have to have the executive and the legislative branch working together while at the same time allowing for that flexibility and uh, the uh, you know opportunity to respond very quickly because I think nobody wants to take away that from a governor that if should we you know God forbid have a terrorist attack or something that requires immediate response by one person and I think that that's where the governor is trying to mislead is that oh we're going to have to go through this convoluted get approval from the House and the Senate in order for us to be able to respond to an imminent threat. Well, and we saw the legislature and the governor work together on a number of things last year. We've seen them work together on a number of things over the last four years. Uh, you constantly hear these refrains of, oh, well, they never agree, and they'll butt heads, and it's political. But they've worked together to solve serious problems in the past, and I believe that they can do that in the future, because ultimately, they care about the people of Pennsylvania. The problem is we can't have one man making unilateral rulings over and over again at the detriment of, of Pennsylvanians, which is what we've seen in the last year. Well, so to wrap up our podcast, we've got vote uh, for Kevin Brobson for Supreme Court and vote yes and yes on questions one and two. Uh, Jeremy Baker, political director at Commonwealth Partners, thanks for coming on Brews and Views and talking about the, these important issues that will be on the May 18 primary election. Thanks, Matt. You've been
been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. 